So mental health disorders are the most common illnesses of childhood and adolescence. In the United States, there are 17.1 million children and teenagers who have a mental health disorder. There are 7 million with asthma, 7 million with peanut allergy, 200,000 with diabetes, and 11,500 with cancer. So if you take the most common illnesses and you put them all together, they don't equal the number of kids who have a mental health disorder. And this is not just an American problem, this is a worldwide problem. I think the biggest problem, though, is that the overwhelming majority of these children do not get diagnosed and do not receive treatment. One has to remember that we're talking about one out of five children have a mental health disorder. And those children actually have a disorder that causes them severe distress and severe dysfunction. They may not be able to attend school on a regular basis. When they're in school, they might not be able to sit and pay attention. Or they might be so anxious that they might not be able to answer questions when they're called upon. And yet, there's another group of kids who have subclinical symptoms. In other words, they're there, but they only come out intermittently. And very often, we just minimize what's wrong with them. We just say, oh, he's just a rambunctious boy, or she's just a dizzy girl. And we do a tremendous disservice to all of these children when we don't identify and we don't properly diagnose these disorders. Because two things happen. One, if you're so anxious that you can't raise your hand and answer a question, after a while you're going to find school to be very academically challenging and socially very uncomfortable. If you can't sit still, after a while you're going to miss the lessons learned and you're going to start to feel very foolish. But even worse is the effect that these disorders have on the brain. So that if you develop one of these disorders and it goes untreated, it's bad for your brain. And as you can well imagine, it puts you at higher risk once you reach adolescence or adulthood for other or more severe problems. 75% of all psychiatric disorders occur before the age of 24 and 50% before the age of 14. So we know a lot about the brain. So for instance, essentially, these diseases come on when there's a change in the brain. So there's a change in the brain at three years of age, and that seems to be when we see a lot of uh, onset of autism because we expect kids to be able to have a thousand words, to socially interact, to be able to follow some direction. At six years of age, we expect kids to be able to separate from mom and dad when they go to school. <clears throat> we expect them to sit and be able to wait their turn. So we see the onset of ADHD and also separation anxiety disorder. And at 13, the brain changes again. In fact, the most exciting time for brain development is about 12 or 13. The brain starts to become more efficient. And so if you haven't used parts of your brain, and you're going to get rid of those. You're going to develop super highways. So think of it as little circuitous routes. One little route to play, learn how to play golf and one little route to learn how to speak Italian. And at 13, your brain basically says, well, you didn't learn Italian and you didn't learn golf. We're going to get rid of those um, country roads. And so we're going to develop a super highway, which makes perfect sense since the work that you get in high school is much more demanding and comprehensive. That doesn't mean you can't learn Italian. That doesn't mean you can't learn how to play golf, but you won't be a natural at it. You won't have that Italian accent. You won't have that natural swing. It'll be a much more intellectual exercise. And 13 is about the time we see the first onset of depression. Um, and you have these developmental changes that go all the way in your brain till the time you're 24. 
And it's interesting that at 25, that's when rental car companies let you rent a car. Well, that's because your brain is finally mature. And it's very interesting that the suicide rate, the onset of very severe illnesses like schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, all of a sudden drop at 25 when the brain changes. So the more we learn about brain development, the more we understand how real, how common, how treatable these disorders are, and we also know it's not mom or dad's fault. So I think that parents can make a situation much worse, or they can make a situation much better. But parents don't cause psychiatric disorders. But what a parent should be able to do is to make a child feel comfortable to speak up, to be able to tell them that you're always available to hear what they have to say. And if they're troubled, if they're having any kind of difficulty at school or with friends or with any part of their lives, they can come to their parents. And the second thing parents have to be able to do is not to be ashamed. That if they're worried about something going on with their kid's development or their emotional life or the way they're behaving, they should reach out first to the pediatrician. And if they're not satisfied, then they should reach out and go to a mental health professional. I think it's very important that a child or a teenager own their disorder. Um, very much the same way that people own diabetes. And they'll say, I have diabetes and I have to watch my blood sugar and I have to monitor my blood and I have to be careful with what I'm eating and it depends on how much my activity level is. They really own it. And those are the people who get the best outcomes. And we have to do the same for kids who have something as common as attention deficit disorder or something as rare as obsessive compulsive disorder. Because once they own it, they get the right kind of treatment, they recognize what that treatment requires, and they're able to tell the world, I do need extra time when I take a test, and I need that accommodation, and I am entitled to that accommodation the same way someone who can't walk and uses a wheelchair is, a, is given a ramp to get into the building. So I think there's several big challenges that kids today face that we didn't face even 10 years ago. There's a fast-forward kind of childhood right now. It has a lot to do with how much information is on the web and how often kids and how much time kids spend in front of screens. It's become an easy babysitter. You go to a restaurant and you see everyone at the table, mom, dad, and the kids all looking at their screens. What that means is it eliminates conversation. It means that you're never bored. It means that you aren't necessarily creative, so that in, you know, when you take a kid to a restaurant and it's hard for an average five-year-old to pay attention to the conversation and wait for the food, that means parents would have to bring crayons or make up games. Now, all of a sudden, we just put a cartoon or put a game uh, that just interacts with a child instead of having that human interaction. Parents should get more information about brain development. They should recognize that talking to your child from the very minute they're born, reading books to their child, being available to listen to their child is the most important thing you can do. And the only way that happens is if you spend time with your child. And very few parents recognize how many other things interfere with the amount of time they spend with their children taking phone calls, looking at screens, talking to friends, talking to their spouse, instead of really dedicating a certain amount of time, as much as 20 minutes a day, or as little as 20 minutes a day, of being right on target with that one child, reading a book, playing a game, really having a conversation. That time and that investment 
is one of the most important things parents can do for their children. I think we have a big problem when it comes to mental health disorders and learning disorders. And I think the only way that's going to change is that we almost need an army. We need better informed parents so that they're on the lookout for what's normal development and when it goes awry. We need teachers who are really trained on how to manage a classroom and not focus on negative behavior, but to praise positive behavior because most of the kids in the class want to get the teachers praise and positive reinforcement. And a lot of times teachers are focused on negative behavior and off-task behavior. And I think most importantly, the biggest part of the Army has to be pediatricians. They are the first line of attack. And unfortunately, very rarely do they have enough time or do they have enough knowledge about these common and very real disorders. We have a project here called the Healthy Brain Network where we're giving away 10,000 free diagnostic evaluations plus neuropsych testing which looks for learning and we're also doing cardiovascular fitness and physical fitness and we take bloods for genetics and we also take it for inflammatory markers and most importantly we do a functional MRI and we also do an EEG with the hope that we'll start to find the difference between one child with one disorder and another child. The wonderful part about this study is that it's open to any parent who's worried about their child's behavior or thinking. So the parents participate in this eight to 12 hour evaluation, but their child walks away with a report that can help them at school, can help their therapist do better treatment, and we get all this data and we share the data with over 3,000 scientists worldwide, so everyone's looking at it in a different way. You can imagine that a computer engineer or an applied mathematician is going to look at the data differently than a geneticist or a child psychiatrist. I think many parents are worried that children are being over-medicated in the United States. So I think we should go back to the essentials. There's three important essentials, diagnosis, diagnosis, diagnosis. If you don't have a diagnosis, you can't come up with treatment. And fortunately, there's certain medicines that are remarkably effective for certain psychiatric diagnoses. And there are other conditions that we don't have medicine for. And whether it's parent training or whether it's um, cognitive behavioral therapy or it's dialectical behavioral therapy, fortunately, we have evidence-based psychosocial interventions that work. I think the most important thing for any child or teenager who feels that they're suffering, that they're more worried, that they're more sad, that they're more inattentive, that they're struggling academically, you are not alone. The first thing you have to do is speak up. Ask for help. Talk to your parents, talk to a teacher, talk to your doctor. The great news is that not only are these disorders common and real, but they're very treatable. We have outstanding treatment results when you get the right diagnosis with the right treatment. So there's a lot of hope for these millions of kids who suffer as long as they speak up and get the help they need.